Some of you are new to the church, and you've only been coming a few months, and you know Pastor John just a little bit. And what you know of him, I guess you like or you wouldn't be back, right? So you know certain of his attributes, you know certain things about him, and so you're walking with him. But there are others of you, you've got a better revelation. But there's only one, there's only one who really knows him, who knows him intimately. There's only one who can explain him, and her name is Bev. <laughs> and even she can't always explain him. <laughs> because God knows him even better. God created us to know him. We were created to know him. So this, when it says Jesus came to explain him, why did God need explaining? Because most Old Testament people only knew God through the law. No, David had a revelation, Abraham had a revelation. Yes, there were men of God who had a revelation. But most Old Testament people saw God as far away and harsh, punishing, scary. If you didn't obey, off with your head. They misunderstood God. They misjudged God because they didn't know him well. And I would suggest to you and me that whenever we don't know God well, we are inclined to judge and misinterpret God, to accuse God. It's really important to know God well. I'm thinking about things that happened in America recently. I don't know if you get our news. Sometimes I get yours. But um, there was a terrible school shooting. I think it was in Texas, Uvalde. Terrible, 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 terrible. Some of those people were Christians. Some of those children were believers. And if you're not walking close with God, if you don't really know God well, what are you going to say when your child is killed? When people didn't handle it properly, when maybe it didn't even need to happen that way, what are you going to say? Maybe you'll become a victim. You'll say, well, I don't think God cares very much about our family. It's easy to draw wrong conclusions when we don't walk closely with God. We misjudge him. We misinterpret him. Folks, we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world, and bad things happen to good people. And we don't need to go scratching around to see what sin they committed or their fathers to see why this happened to them. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't know God really well, then you will not understand him. Well, Jesus came to explain him. Aren't you glad Jesus came to explain him? Because until Jesus came, nobody grasped who he really was. But when Jesus went out and he fed the thousands, they thought, oh, He really is a provider. He didn't have to do that, but he really cared about us being hungry this one day. We could have skipped a meal or two, but he cared for us. So they saw another picture of God they hadn't seen. And when he forgave the adulterous woman, people were shocked. Some people were offended. But those who got it, they saw God as merciful. All of a sudden, they grasped mercy. Yes, there was still Justice, but they saw mercy. You mean this is who God is? God would forgive even me? 
He's that merciful. So everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did, well, Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 say, he's the exact representation of God. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So anybody who encountered Jesus was without excuse to know who God was. And yet people still didn't get it. The exact representation of who God is. Yep. But now, everybody say, but now. Yeah, yeah. But now, we have been destined yeah, yeah. to be the exact yeah. representation yeah. of Jesus on earth. Yeah. And to release that revelation yeah. to the world. Yeah. When people encounter us, they're supposed to be encountering Jesus. Yes. Not our disappointments not our doubts, not our depression. They're supposed to be encountering the one you're reflecting and giving away. Okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Turn to Romans 1. It's also another good book, but then they're all good, right? Romans 1, 11 through 12. Paul says, For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul says, I long to impart to you. The word impart means to communicate, to reveal, to unveil, to bestow or give away something from a storehouse. Paul knew that he had a storehouse inside of him. And he said, it would be so much better if I could get to you in person. Because there's something that I can bestow upon you in person, face to face, that's better than writing a letter. There's something that I could deposit in you. He says some spiritual gift, but the scholars all agree he's not limiting himself to the laying on of hands to receive prophecy. He's not talking about that. He's talking about making a deposit of who Jesus is that tears back the veil in a deeper way than they've seen before. So that together, through this impartation, they are established in God. They are changed by the impartation. He says, I just wish I could get there. I just wish I could get there because there's something I can do in person I could impart to you if only I could get there. Peter also knew what he had. Think about John chapter 3. When Peter and John were walking down the street to the temple at 3 o'clock, and they see this man begging for alms because he's crippled. And so what does Peter say? I don't have any gold. I don't have any silver. I don't have what you're asking for. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up. He knew what he had. He couldn't give it away unless he knew what he had. You can't give away what you don't have. We can be a blessing to people, but we can't change people unless we can give out of the abundance. Unless we know what we've got and we're able to impart it to someone else. I don't know if you've ever been powerfully imparted to. Anybody here ever had an, an encounter with God? It's like, well, that was different. That, you know, something transferred to me. You know, someone prayed for you, laid hands. 
I'm reminded of a time years ago when I was at Prophet Kubis's church. I don't know if it was a conference, but there were a lot of people, and he was up front laying hands on people. And I went up to be laid hands on, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I was knocked to kingdom come. I didn't know where I was. Where, I mean, I was gone. You know how it's not always like that, but I was gone, real gone. And when I came to, I was kind of confused, and I could hardly see that may be because my blouse was over my head. <laughs> that was a little bit embarrassing. No, more than a little bit embarrassing, but worth it. Because later that night, when I was going to bed and I was reading the scriptures, all of a sudden it was like, I never saw that before. I never, I never saw it. That. I turned to another scripture. Well, that's been there all the time, and I never saw that. It was like something in Prophet Kubis was deposited in me. Something of his revelation in the word, and I don't claim to be walking in it 100%, but I was changed. All I can tell you is he imparted something to me, and it changed me. I believe in impartation. I believe, I believe not only believe in impartation, but I believe that we were created to be imparters. I believe that's one of our missions on earth, to impart Jesus, what have you got to impart? What are you imparting? Do you know every time you walk into a room, you're imparting something? Even if you're not meaning to, even if you'd like to be the hidden person, you're carrying something. You're either bringing life and hope and joy and encouragement, the attributes of Jesus, or you're bringing something else. We won't go there, right? We don't want anybody to be depressed. In all your interactions with other people, whether it's ministry, you go to Gazankulu, you do ministry, or you're just in conversation here at church or in the post office, we're supposed to be imparting the abundance of what Jesus is in us into someone else so that they are transformed by interacting with us. What a power, what a privilege, what an honor to be able to give Jesus away because we're walking in the abundance of what he has. Who, you know, people who are full of the anointing. Well, let me say this. Can an ordinary person, I know Peter and Paul and Cubus, they're famous, but can, can an ordinary person impart? Does it have to be dramatic and miraculous in order to impart? I remember about 35 years ago, maybe 40 years ago, I was teaching in a Christian school, and we used to have chapel services two or three times a week. And the teacher could either give the message herself, or they could invite a guest speaker to come. So one day, one of the teachers had invited a guest speaker. I didn't know who she was. I asked somebody, who is that? Lady? No, I don't know. I think she's from a Pentecostal church, but we don't know who she is. She got up to speak. And it was absolutely riveting the countenance that she carried. She shone with such a light, with such a joy, with such a love that it was staggering to everyone who was watching. I don't remember a word she said. I don't even know if she could preach. I don't know if it was a good word or not. All I know is I was so impacted by the presence of God that she carried. And when we walked out that day, one of the other teachers said to me, 
have you ever seen anybody that full of Jesus? I said, no, I haven't. I've never seen anything like it. All these decades later, I can still see her face. I can still see the radiance of her countenance. It imparted something to me, something to make me long to walk in that kind of impartation. It deposited Christ's love and faith in me. And yet, she has no title. She has no book. She doesn't have a TV program. She's not famous, but she changed a room full of people, whoever would be changed, whoever would receive. See, you also have to receive impartation. We have to know how to give it, but we also have to know how to receive it. Impartation is for ordinary people. It's for you. What are you imparting? When you go into the restaurant today, are you imparting your impatience to the waiter? What are you giving away? Think what we carry. Think of the opportunities we have to be Christ in the room. That day, I didn't see a woman. I saw Christ standing before us. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we're longing for? People who are full of Jesus have an anointing that changes the atmosphere. It just changes the atmosphere. It changes people, and it brings victory. It brings victory. It lifts oppressed hearts. It lifts suicidal hearts. You don't know what you're doing. Sometimes when you're imparting, you have no idea, but yet God is working in the situation. You know, sometimes you come up forward and they'll put a little oil on you. That's not what anointing is. Okay? Anointing means to be smeared with, slathered with, saturated in, dripping down, drowning in. It's to be immersed in. That's what the anointing is. It's an immersion. It's an immersion. And so out of the abundance, you can give away. But out of a trickle... I just need it for myself. Have you ever been trying to drive on fumes? (laughs) It's all you can do to hold it together. You just, you know, it's just enough for me. But when you're in the abundance, you've got it to give away. It's flowing out of you into the desert everywhere you go. Who would like to be more anointed? (laughs) Anybody? You know what the secret is of carrying a victory anointing? I have a quote for you from Smith Wigglesworth. Now, he ought to know about anointing, right? I'm figuring a quote from him on the anointing ought to be worthwhile. So this is what he says. The secret of victory is to abide where the victor abides. How simple is that? The secret of victory is to abide where the victor abides. How many of us have been abiding where the victim abides? How many of you have been abiding where the exile abides, where the mistreated abides? It's not a fun place to abide, is it? It doesn't bring fruit. It doesn't bring life. Abiding is something about consistency. Abiding, abiding says to remain and to stay. A lot of Christians think they're abiders, but they're yo-yo Christians. They're in and out of the Spirit. They're in and out of church. They're in and out of walking this Christian life, but abiding means my complete trust is in him alone. Like the song we sang this morning, nothing else, you can have the world, just give me Jesus. 
That's the way we're supposed to live with this attitude. I just need more Jesus. I don't have to demand more respect. I don't have to demand that the world change. I don't have to demand that people do what I want in order for me to be in peace. I just need more of Jesus. I need to abide in him. And then everything changes because you change your own atmosphere. You change your... You don't mind if I just speak a little pastorally this morning. I think about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas beaten for the gospel, arrested for the gospel, put in prison, put in stocks, and at midnight, what are they found doing? Oh, Lord, please deliver us. Oh, God, help us. Oh, what's going to happen to us? Is that the prayer they prayed? They were found singing and praising, and the, said the prisoners were listening. The prisoners were listening. We need to be abiders no matter what the circumstance, no matter who's coming against us, no matter what's going on. We have to be those people that say, well, Jesus is where I need to be right now. That's where the only answer is, is to be found abiding with him. I wish I could tell you I'd do that every time. (laughs) Hmm, do you do it every time? Okay, it's quiet in here. Okay, we're going to read another scripture. What does Jesus say about abiding? You know the chapter, John 15? Let's read what Jesus says about abiding. John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot, cannot, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So it's a promise, but it's a conditional promise. It said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. Although the if isn't there, you can tell it's there. If you abide, well, I thought Jesus was with me always. He is, but if you can't discern him, if you can't access him, it's not helping, (laughs) right? He's in you, he's around you, he's before you, he's all around you. But if you're not abiding in him, you won't have the sense that he's abiding in you. You won't have that union. So he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then what's going to (laughs) happen? Let's read some more verses. Verses 7 through 11. If you abide in me, that's a big if, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done. Hmm. Condition, abiding. The fruit, supernatural answers. Supernatural appers, right? How many of you have been frustrated? I've been praying and praying this and I hadn't gotten an answer. One good question would be to say, how well am I abiding? How well am I living in this presence? Because he might change your prayer. If you were abiding with him, he might show you that's not the way to pray that. That's not the right perspective. You're not seeing this from heaven's perspective. Then when he changes the way you see it, you align your prayer with his. Then you get answers. He says, if you abide with me, you can ask whatever you want. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Supernatural fruit. You can't bear it on your own. See, I do a lot of things on my own. I do good things. I call people, check on them, I care for people. I'm doing some things. But if I'm not doing it as a result of abiding, it's not lasting fruit. It's just a nice, friendly thing to do. It's a blessing, but it's not eternal. It hasn't changed that person forever. We want to bear 
eternal fruit that comes out of nothing else but abiding in the vine. Abiding in the vine. Hmm. When you start abiding with him, you can expect the supernaturals to start moving. You can expect God incidences. You can expect checks in the mail and phone calls you didn't expect and relationships restored. You can expect all kinds of things that you've been waiting for years for. But when you get in the flow and in the overflow, suddenly things start snapping. Suddenly things start happening in your life. Well, it's interesting that throughout these verses, well, let me just continue. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. He talks about the importance of abiding, and he doesn't tell us how to do it. Thank you very much, Jesus. I mean, I must do it. Okay, gives you a hint. Abide in me, abide in the word. Okay. But what does that mean, and what does that look like? And why doesn't he just give us a formula? Wouldn't it be so nice if he just says, look, three steps to the anointing, four steps to this, you know? Do you want to know why he doesn't? No, you know, you don't care. Okay, I'm going to ask these people, would you all like to know why? Would you like to know why? It's because it's a relationship. When you got married, did somebody hand you a script? No. Say, this is what you'll say on the wedding night, and then that's what he'll say, and that's what you... That's creepy. See, my relationship with Jesus is different from your relationship with Jesus. It's not supposed to look the same. You navigate a relationship. You know, Jesus said, I don't call you slaves. What does I call you? I call you friends. Well, what do friends do? Let's think about it. Marriage couples should be friends. Friends should be friends. But people have odd ideas about friendship sometimes. I've had people occasionally try to cultivate a friendship with me. And every time we get together, they just pour out their heart, all their dreams, all their visions, all their problems. Won't you pray for me? And then they leave. Seriously. Yadda to yadda to yadda to they don't know anything about me, my family. They haven't inquired about me. They don't ask my opinion or my interests. It's like, and they think we're friends. It's like, well, really? What kind of friendship is that? But some of us are like that with God. We storm into the prayer room, and what do we do? God, you see this situation. You see what they did to me. Father, you just need to get it. You need to do this. This needs to change. We, Lord, I'm just casting all my burdens upon you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And they're out. Did Jesus give an opinion in that scenario? Was he even asked for an opinion? His wisdom, his point of view? That's not friendship. That's using God like he's your personal lackey. Jesus died, yes, to forgive our sins, but for a purpose. He forgave our sins to save us, but for a purpose. He died, forgave our sins, saved us so that we could have relationship with the Father. That was the whole point. And now I just want stuff. I want problem solved. I just want this. I want that. God, you know. But what about him? He's the prize. Paul said, that's why I'm setting things behind me. 
I'm forgetting the past. I'm laying everything aside, and I'm running for the prize. He's talking about a relationship. He's, talking about, he's not talking about any other goal but knowing him. And then when he knew him really well, what could he do? He could show him to other people. He could say, hey, this is who Jesus is. Don't you want to fall in love with him? Don't you want to know him? Abiding in the abundance. Can you imagine walking into work tomorrow and having people double take when you walk by? People approaching you in your cubicle and say, I don't know why I'm asking you this, but, but could you pray for my wife? We've got this problem. Can you imagine people suddenly responding to you differently because you're carrying the presence of Jesus in a more demonstrative way. Wouldn't that be thrilling? Instead of going to work saying, oh, it's this boss. I don't know how I'm going to live with this boss. I can't stand this circumstance. These people just irritate. Maybe I should look for a job somewhere else. And then meanwhile, there are all these people who need Jesus around you. Meanwhile, there are all these people who need if you would just let it out. But see, you have to be in the abundance because otherwise it's just enough for me. It's just enough for me. What if we got in the river? What if we just decided to live there and swim there? Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Hmm, what kind of friend are you of Jesus? Are you a listening friend? Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. Do you want to know that he's God? Do you really want to be in relationship? Stop talking (laughs) and listen. Maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll get a new point of view. Maybe he'll speak a scripture or word that encourages you, that gives you a shift in direction. Somebody's got to be still. But we don't always take time to be still, do we? Because we have so many needs, we have so many concerns. So how do we do it? How do we abide in him? How do we abide in the word? Do you memorize scripture? Some people might. Doesn't mean you have to. It's a relationship. Do you meditate on Scripture? I hope so. But that's because I like to meditate on Scripture. But you have to pursue it in whatever way, whether you go to Bible studies, whatever you do, whether you pray in tongues, you have to access God according to your relationship with Him. It's personal. There are tools, there are suggestions, there are ideas in the Bible, but you have to get on the road of pursuit. It's really not about the tools. When you get passionate about Jesus, you get passionate about your wife, you aren't going and checking the script and saying what to say and what to do. (laughs) You don't need help, right? Because you know what you're going after. You know what you're running after. And so the tools will help you, yes. But the main thing is, do you have the passion to realize he wants to be known? He sent Jesus that we might know him. That's the purpose. And then also turn around and help somebody else know him. Help somebody else reach out to him. I read that Smith Wigglesworth was never away from the word of God more than half an hour. How do you do that? I have tried setting the alarm on my cell phone to ring every half hour and and just be quiet with God. But you know what? By 7 o'clock at night, now I'm tired of that alarm. I don't want that alarm to ring again. Now I want to do my thing. And it's such a reminder to me. He did it 
out of the dependence. It's like, I can't be disconnected from God more than half an hour. He would either read the word. He would stop in the middle of a conversation and say, let's see what God has to say in the book of whatever. Because he was so dependent on it. It wasn't a religious thing. This is the problem. We get together and we think, oh, I should probably talk about Jesus. Or maybe I'll think up a scripture and then we can talk. It's not a planned thing if it's a relationship. But the relationship Smith Wigglesworth had with God was totally dependent on abiding in the spirit and abiding in the word. Guys, do you know how much you need to abide in the word? Do you know how much you need? Now, some people just collect scripture. And then what does Corinthians say? Then you get puffed up. Because knowing the word is not the same thing as knowing the author of the word. You can know a lot of word, a lot of Greek and Hebrew. You can impress a lot of people, but it doesn't bring you into relationship with God. Is it going to cost you anything? Well, Jesus died for it. It's free, right? Relationship with God is free, but will it cost you? It will cost you. Sometimes you're going to have to change your priorities. You're going to have to change your time. You're going to have to change the way you do things to make room for God. Sometimes you might say, I just need to go on a fast for a couple of days because I've just got to get away with God because I've been too busy with the pressures and other things. We have to make sacrifices and rearrange our lives so that we have time to seek him. It will cost you to abide with him. It will also cost you in humility. Do you know that? Because what's the point in coming to the word over and over just to be built up, built up? Sometimes we go to be convicted. Sometimes he says, that attitude is not smelling too good. I think we need to shift. Sometimes there's some repentance. in. I mean, am I allowed to talk about repentance in a grace dispensation? Sometimes we need to repent because we're not having the mind of Christ. Other times we go to the Word and he's just like, I never saw that before. That's so exciting. We're thrilled. We're built up. Sometimes he gives us wisdom to help us make a decision. It's all there. It's all waiting for us. But it takes patience. There's another cost to patience. Because I don't know about your daily devotional, but every daily devotional that I have, the angels don't come sing at every one. I don't get a revelation like, oh, I never saw it. I'm changed. That doesn't happen every time. I wish it did. But you see, the fact that it doesn't can't deter how I approach the word tomorrow or whether I take a day off. Some days are lackluster. And it's a discipline because it says, I know he's pleased that I came. That's all that matters. He's pleased that I came. He's not worried if I didn't get goosebumps that day. He's not worried that I didn't have some, you know, dramatic encounter. He's pleased that I came and sat with him and said, Jesus, I just want to be with you. I just want to know. See how easy it is to please God? He pours out those spiritual blessings, but it's the consistency. Abiding is about every day. It's about every day. When it's fun, when it's not fun. When it's thrilling, when it's not thrilling. Are you in it for the long haul? Are you in it even though it brings with a sacrifice? You know, a lot of people want to preach. They don't want to prepare. (laughs) A lot of people want to do ministry, but they don't want to spend time in the Word. It doesn't work that way. 
Because you may still be a blessing. You may have a great teaching talent. You may be able to bless people, but you won't impart anything lasting because it only comes out of the abundance. It comes out of the abundance of the fullness that you're walking in. <laughs> Funny thing happened last week when Bobby was here. How many of you were at the conference? Yeah. Isn't Bobby awesome? Just love him. So Bobby was just finishing up ministering, and I was tired, and I was just sitting in one of the front chairs, just kind of resting in the Lord, and Marius came over to me, and he laid hands on me. Now, he's done that before, and I've seen him do it to other people. He comes and he lays hands, and I just kind of closed my eyes and said, oh, that feels nice. I'm feeling comfort, feeling encouragement, and then God spoke to me and said, this is impartation. I said, it is impartation. Okay, so I was like, okay, what is he imparting, Lord? What is he imparting? And the Holy Spirit just began to bring up to my mind, now I know Marius a little bit, some of the characteristics of Jesus that are abundant in him. And so I said, Lord, I receive of his sensitivity because it's the sensitivity of Jesus. Lord, I receive of his kindness. It's a deposit, it's a download of kindness and I'm taken. Lord, make me kinder. Lord, I know it's your generosity that flows through him. Lord, make me more generous. And so I received an impartation. I don't even know if he knows what he's doing, that I was receiving it. But you need to receive impartation. You need to honor everyone who lays hands on you, prays for you, blesses you. Because sometimes you don't know what you've touched. When I was in Bible college, I hadn't been saved very long. And I didn't know who Reinhard Balka was. I'd never heard him. I, I didn't know. And our school invited him to be one of the speakers at a missions conference. And I worked for the missions professor, so I was his driver. And I was excited. Here's this famous person. As I got to know him a little bit, I thought, this is the kindest, most sense. He was interested in us students. We're running around like chickens with our head cut off, trying to make everything happen. And he had time for us. And I was so blessed to be prayed for by him. But you see, I didn't know. I didn't know how to receive an impartation because I didn't know what he carried. I didn't know what was in him. Perhaps I could have opened up more. Perhaps I could have received more. You see what I'm saying? People, everybody around you is an imparter, and they have things to receive. It's not just Pastor John. Each one of us has something to impart, and it's something of value. But if we don't value it, I'm not sure how much we receive the impartation. So it's not just important to be an imparter, but it's important to be ones who can receive, who can humble themselves and receive an impartation. How healed would the body of Christ be if we all went around imparting what was necessary of Christ to each one. Isn't that what he says about the gifts? Each one has a different gift. The, the hand isn't greater than the toe. Yeah. Each one has something to bring, and it brings wholeness to us all. So you don't have to be ashamed of your gift if you think it's smaller, because I tell you what, if your little toe hurts, it's the most important organ in your whole body. Amen. There's nothing like a stub toe. So it matters. What we carry matters, and it changes people. Yeah. Last week, I was really blessed when a couple came up to me at the conference. They said, remember us? <laughs> no, I don't remember you. You know, it's always embarrassing 
And they said, five years ago, you came here and you prophesied to us. Now, I don't remember them or the prophecy, okay? But they said, no, you prophesied that we were called to ministry. We were going to leave the church. We were going to move far away. We were going to plant a church. And, do and, of course, I don't remember any of this. But they said, we love this church. We did not want to leave this church. We did not want to go. We did not like the word. <laughs> but guess what happened? Time passed. And Bobby Leger came along and he said, that prophecy you got, that was of God. Why hadn't you obeyed it? Yeah. Then Andre Bronkhorst came along and said, hey, you're going to go to the cause of people. Your own language, you're going to go down there and God's going to make you fruitful. Why aren't you doing it? And so they eventually did it. And now they're seeing the fruit. Now they're seeing family saved. Now they're seeing things happen. Yeah. But I got to be a tiny seed in the process. How thrilling to think that just opening myself up to impart something to them that God said could begin a train in motion. Yeah. Isn't that thrilling? Don't you want to be part of people's destinies, part of people's transformations? Yeah. And you don't know. I didn't know five years ago when I spoke that word that it would ever produce anything. Yeah. A lot of times you prophesy or give or do whatever, and you think, well, you know, nobody said anything. I don't know if that made any difference. Years later, you find out they got healed or that they received it or it changed something in their life. So I want to encourage you, let's start imparting and keep imparting. Let's don't look at the results. Well, how many people in the conference called to say they were healed? Well, maybe more will be calling or maybe it's none of your business. Maybe your faith can't depend on getting all the results and testimonies. Maybe we just impart because we're imparters. We give away Jesus because it's free. And we know that it changes people. By faith, impart. By faith, receive from others.